So, just to recap what we've heard before in, in previous speeches, uh, Monet was here last week, and he showed us a clip of a runner that ran a race and spoke about encouraging one another and finishing your race well and the need for us to prefer each other in that race and to encourage one another to finish that race to the end and win the prize. The prize is we'll see God face to face. We're all on that page. And uh, part of that would be our testimony. So on Friday, a couple of people were all joined together for community and we shared, we, we encouraged one another. And what struck me was people found it quite hard to encourage one another. It wasn't something that came naturally. They had to like dig deep. And part of encouraging one another would be through your own testimonies. So I want to speak about testimonies today. And first of all, is it important to have a testimony? Well, in Revelations 12 verse 11, if you put that up, well, so Revelations 12, you know, Revelations is when everything comes to an end and it tells the whole story. So just before 12, 11, the Satan has been cast, he's called the, the dragon, I think, in, in Revelations 12, and he's been cast out of heaven onto earth and he's no longer allowed to, to say anything about us in the heavens and it doesn't sound too good for us at that point because now he's cast onto earth, Right? Uh, there are different ways of interpreting that. It could be now. It could have happened in the beginning when he was cast, cast out of heaven. Or it's going to happen. The big thing is, it's either going to get worse from here on, or it's already there. And this is our only defense. So it says, they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb. So that's Jesus. Nothing to do with us. We can just claim that. Great. And then the word of their testimony. So those, and then, well, they weren't afraid to die. (laughs) So they were willing to die for their testimony. So, but those are our only two defenses we have. One is what Jesus did on the cross. Another one is the word of our testimony. So I think a testimony to me sounds like an important thing in these times. So good to work on it. Um. It shouldn't be that difficult to have a testimony. So I've got a little clip that I want to play. We all went to, as you're getting it ready, um, we all went to Willowmore, not all of us. A couple of us went to Willowmore, what was it, two weeks ago? And Angus Bucken flew in, and he spoke to the guys there. He was there for two reasons. The first reason was to encourage the people because of the drought that they've been going through for literally years and the second part was to pray that God will send so how cool is that huh I was there and it was dry and the wind was blowing across the place that we were sitting at and there was dust everywhere and it was two weeks ago huh so that's a testimony. So, you guys have this testimony. 
So the people that live around us don't know that Angus Buchan came and prayed. So is it Angus Buchan? No, he himself said he's not the weatherman. God is the weatherman. He just knows the guy that controls weather. Um, and that's how a testimony works. It's not complicated. It's pretty simple. He, a, a bunch of people, including Willem or Josh Jen and some of us and some of George and Mossel Bay, put out our faith and arranged an event for the people to pray together and now it rained. And did God make it rain? Well, uh, you know, often, what was it, 20 years the river didn't flow. Coincidence that after we prayed the river flows within six days? After 20 years. Coincidence. I don't know. Um, I think I can defend that it's not coincidence. Um, we arranged that you, you could say, well, it started raining before Uncle Angus came. He did. It did. But that meeting was arranged a month before that, before it started raining. So I think God made it rain before we prayed just because he wanted to show us that it's not Uncle Angus that makes it rain. It's him. He can do it. So does God make it rain? Well, Isaiah 44 is three, just as a defense. If somebody says, God doesn't make it rain. It says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. So God says he makes it rain. So, and that's a testimony. There you go. And all of us here have this testimony to give to the people around us. That when it rains this week and somebody says, it's amazing. And you go like, did you know? And there's a Facebook clip. I can send that link to you. You can show them this and say, you know what? We know those people. Michael was playing drums. He almost made it on TV. Um, he was sitting behind Fachis. <laughs> you can see his hands. He was playing drums. <laughs> but those are people we know. Wagner from George. I think he's done worship here before. Um, Trevor, you've seen him on TV on Just Gen playing guitar and drums normally he's not a great bassist oh this is recorded sorry sorry Trev <laughs> Chad would agree um, am I making it worse I am <laughs> digging a hole <laughs> sorry <laughs> so I'd like to I've got to go I've got to speed up here so Psalm 71 what does David say? So here's David. David, in the beginning of Psalm 71, speaks about he was born and God made him. And he was, he's got everything. Even he wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for God. This is his testimony. And then he says, but, I, but as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long. Though I know not its measure, I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. There's a testimony. He's going, I'm going to tell everybody. And then, does it go on? He says, since my youth, O God, see, since I was young, you have taught me 
And to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God, you who have done great things, who, O God, is like you. So David just wants to grow old so that he's going, God, don't let me die young because I need to tell the next generation about how great you are. I need to pass this along to the next generation. Please don't forsake me before I grow old so that I can be gray, wise, and kids, yes, the people with the gray hair, yeah, amongst us, are the wise people that you should listen to, not the people on YouTube. <laughs> We're the kids now, and they should hear that, the ones that have gone. But amazing, David has this testimony. He didn't even have Jesus, and he's talking about my salvation being in God. It's an amazing thing. He's, and I can... You hear that he's excited about that. And he, it's from when he was young until he was old. So how do, we, how do we put a testimony together? I think the best example for me is just to use Jesus as an example. He sort of created little things for us to follow. And he, if we read it, then he teaches us in his, in his words. So John 4 not one John, John 4, the, the Gospel of John. So in John 4, Jesus is now traveling from Judea, if I'm correct, yeah, from Judea to Gal- Galilee. We can go to the next verse. And he's traveling back. So him and his disciples, they've been in the one place, they're going back to the next. And then it says, now he had to go through Samaria. Let's just first read the story and then I'll get back to to this, okay, so now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to this town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tri- tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, that's lunchtime. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Where was his disciples? His disciples had gone into the town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, 
I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving a water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciple urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have given him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I send you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of your, their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Long story. Let's go back to the start. What do, we, what do we learn from the story? Okay. So, so I'm going to unpack it a little bit. See how far we get. What did Jesus do? This is an example of a good testimony and to lead an entire town, or not an entire town, but a large portion of a town to the Lord. Tough crowd. Samaritans hate Jews. Ah, racial conflict. Actually, not a good place for a Jew to be. Quite dangerous, actually. It was a violent difference of opinion. And you could also call them a religious sect. So they believed that they were right and the Jews were wrong. So they've got their own theology here. A little bit whack. They don't want to go to Jerusalem anymore. They're going to worship on their own mountain. So they're not listening to God. Jesus... It says that in verse 4, it says he's going from Judea to Galilee and it says now he had to go through Samaria. He didn't. It's not the shortest route. 
if you look on the map. He really didn't because Jews didn't go through Samaria. So he needed to go through Samaria means he decided to go out of his way into a place that wasn't really friendly to him and where he would find people that weren't Jewish. And then he came to this town called Sikor near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And the well was there. And it was about noon. So it's a perfect setup. He sends his disciples away. And in verse 9, he's speaking to a Samaritan woman. And it says there, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So here's the first thing. If we're going to give our testimony, shock and horror is that we will have to associate a little bit with people that we don't normally associate with. Like non-Christians. <laughs> I haven't lived in Otsurin for too long, but just after we moved into our house, somebody gave me the rundown of who lived around me. I'm not going to name the person. Um, somebody gave me a rundown, who lives around me, like in my neighborhood, because I'm new. It's great. So they went, that guy that lives there, he runs a church. That guy that lives in that house, uh, he does this for a living, and they go to that other church. And then they went, and these guys that live next to you, they are atheists. And they went, but those people, they, they go to like the Dash Reform Church. And I went like, the way that they said that these people are atheists, it was like, okay, so guess who I'm going to go make friends with this December? They're atheists. <laughs> you know why? Because they don't have Jesus. The guy that goes across the, that lives across the road from me that goes to his own church, I'm pretty sure he's got Jesus. He doesn't need my help. But the guys that live right next door to me, I'm going to make friends with them. I hope so. I think they're pretty cool. Anyway. <laughs> so, and, but it, I'm saying it's because that's the way we think. We're like, you know what, we're going to herd together. And, Primarily, my job here in Otsurin is to be the shepherd of Justin Otsurin. So, everything in me just wants to put you all in one little safe spot. And we, we get something around you. And then we, we're like, if new people come visit, then we put them in a separate little thing. Maybe they should come visit me first. And we can see if they're safe to allow them to come into the other communities after a little while. Like maybe they've got some weird doctrine. Or, I don't know, maybe they're like a wolf, but they, they just look like a sheep. So that's what the shepherd wants to do. And that's cool that we together and we love one another. And that is how people will know that we are his disciples, remember? By the way, we love one another. But there has to be something of an overflow to those people that do not know God. So we'll have to associate with some people that we don't normally associate with. Now, this is not an invitation to go to the local bar. Cool? It's like, that's a bit too far. <laughs> okay, so let me give you a hint. If you go away for a weekend and you're the only Christian, and they're like nine or ten non-Christians, 
then you're going to end up drinking next to the fire and smoking cigars. Right? And that's how it works. We call it peer pressure. Youth, peer pressure. You know all about it. Yes. If you get a bunch of people together and you go for a weekend and you invite one unsaved person or couple and you're not too weird about it, then they will end up doing what you're doing. And you can set the tone. Just a hint. If you go to the bar, people drink at the bar. They're not there to hear about Jesus. They'll think you're weird. So unless Jesus tells you to go there, then go. Okay? I'm not saying you can't go. It's just a correction there. <laughs> okay, verse 13. What do we see there? So, Jesus has this conversation with her. It's quite a normal conversation. He goes, I'm thirsty. Will you give me some water? And then he speaks into, he's being perceptive. So he speaks into her need. She's thirsty. What is she doing there in the middle of the day? Nobody else goes there. It's the hottest time of the day. If you have to walk a couple of kilometers to a well to get water, so A, there's no river, so it's a dry spot. So if you had to walk a couple of kilometers with a bucket to go get water and carry the water back to town, would you go 12, 1? That's not what the people did. So she's the only one there. Why? Well, you don't need to be Jesus to figure that one out. She doesn't want to be there with the rest of the people. There's something wrong here. So he's going, you know what? How about I give you water? And she's going like, what? What are you on about? And now he turns it a little bit. So he's using... He's being clever. He's seeing, yeah, she, she's thirsty, she wants water. I can give you something that you can have. And he's, he's speaking to her in a language that she can understand. And he's offering her things that you can clearly see she needs. And that's how he gets into a conversation with her. So when we use words like repent and sin, and what other words do we have? Christianese words. Uh, you know Christianese is. Right? It's our own special dialect that we use in church circles. Uh, all those words that the rest of the world look at you and go, repent. Or you need to be saved even. Right? So you walk in the street, meet somebody, you go like, you need to be saved. They go, from what? <laughs> no, from your own sin. I haven't done anything wrong. Did you see me double park the other day or something? What did I do? <laughs> you know? So we need, to, we need to speak to people in a language that makes sense to them. And Jesus did this. That's what we see him give us an example. He's talking to her about things that matter to her. Okay. Then, then he turns it, verse 16, on. Now he's turning it. Now, here... Yeah, you see something very special happening. So he says, go call your husband. And then she says, no, but I don't have a husband. And then he, then he says something to her that he couldn't have known. So there was the part that he did know. 
and that he could see and that opened the door and now he's going out on a limb and he's trusting the spirit it's not the only way of doing this but this is a very cool way of doing it right is to actually look at somebody you don't know and you go I feel God saying this for you and and they that'll convince them and this, you can do this. Like all of us have this. You have the Holy Spirit. And if you go out on a limb and you, and you start talking to people, and you don't have to go weird. You can go weird later as you get more confidence. But if you've, that's one way of doing it. But Jesus tells us something that she couldn't have, he couldn't have known. And that thing ticks over in her mind. And you don't have to say, you don't have to, what we call a word of knowledge. There's Christianese for you. There's a word to know something about somebody that you shouldn't know. The other thing is, you could just have an encouraging word. Like, you speak into their life in something that, that you can see. But engage them. Pique their interest. Into what? Into the gospel. So what does she do? So he, he says to her, like, I can give you water. Water, if you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. And he's now already explained to her that this is spiritual. So he's turned it into, into that. And I told her something that he couldn't have known. And her response is this. So next thing, the, the disciples barge in on the conversation. I think it's verse 27. So, sorry, in between there was a little discussion between her and and Jesus. Now, this was a tough nut to crack, Samaritans. They they went into a whole theological discussion there that we don't have to break down. But this is, he knew their theology, and he didn't back down from the truth. He never said, "Uh, you're uh, this... he actually corrected it. He said, actually, the truth is from the Jews. So he gives correct theology. He knows what the Bible says. So it's, it's important for us to actually have a little bit of knowledge, to know what the word actually says. Because you might speak to Jehovah's Witnesses. And do you know what they believe? Do you know what they believe different to us? Other than they're not allowed to have blood when they have trans- blood transfusion. Who knew that? Uh, yes, you knew that. Great. So, But where did they come from? Who are they? What do they believe? What scriptures are they going to quote at you? Because they seem to know the Bible well. But actually they, need, they know like 20 verses. Most, most guys that walk around. So what truth will you bring? Do you have a plan? I'm not going to talk about that further. We can go into that. Um, then he says, okay, so the, he's got a little bit of a theology discussion with her. And he actually shifts her. And have you ever tried to talk to somebody like a Jehovah's Witness and try to shift their thought, their, that skill? Huh? But he brought the truth. That's what he did. And he brought it with this Holy Spirit backing him up. 
her reaction is quite key because the disciples they come back and they came back and they interesting thing is they don't ask these questions John is very clear about it he points it out to us he goes like they didn't ask the questions so it's like they didn't ask what do you want or why are you talking with her they missed the point they could have had a lesson in evangelism they were sorely needing it later on and uh, but they missed it at this stage and uh, then 20 verse 28 then she left the water that she came to fetch ran down to the village and said to the guys come see a man who told me everything I did could this be the Christ she's not convinced she thinks maybe it is Jesus hasn't swayed her all the way He's just caused doubt at least. Could this be the Christ? And what did she say? She had some profound statement like, you know what, it was dry for 20 years. And then we prayed together and it rained and there was a flood. No. Not a profound statement. He just told me everything I did. And on that little bit that she had the people came out to see what Jesus so they said they came to to see Jesus and in verse 34 to 37 Jesus is talking to where is some food So there Jesus is now giving his disciples a bit of a lesson so they missed the point when they came back the people are not there yet and Jesus is just keying them in there and says guys we need to bring in the harvest, the spiritual harvest, the people. And he's going, you know what? The people are ready. And I want to say that to you this morning. The people that we meet know about Jesus. They know about the Bible. They know this is Christmas. Everybody that's having Christmas knows about Jesus. Come on. Everybody that's got a tree in their house knows about Jesus. Every person that's buying presents for their kids, spending too much on games on Sony PlayStation, they know about Jesus. Our job is to introduce them to Jesus so that they can know him, they can know Jesus, not just about him, so that they can change jingle bells to, I don't know, a Christmas song, a real one, name one. Silent night. There we go. Change jingle bells for silent night. Come on. Boney M, swap Boney M out for Michael Bublé. <laughs> so now we see the Samaritans. Now he's given, he's keyed his disciples in a little bit. He knows this. He needs to because he's going to need them now. Because the work's coming. We're going to talk to old town. So he's going to need them to do stuff. And, uh, and just leading his team with him in this thing. The Samaritans come back to Jesus. And um, the interesting thing is they say, uh, the testimony of the woman, verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I did. 
It doesn't, it's like, really? Many believed because of that testimony. It's not a, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going the reins better than he did told me everything I, I did. Uh, maybe he saw it on Facebook. <laughs> okay, let's go to verse 40. When the Samaritans came to him, what's their response? Uh, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. He was on his way somewhere, but he stayed. And then it says, because of his words, many more came to be believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. That's where we want those people. It's good for me to tell people, listen, this is what happened. Let me tell you, can I tell you a story? Um, yes. Still 10 minutes, come. Story. <laughs> a couple of years ago, we went to Kietman's Whip to the 412 church there. Uh, Yaku and his wife, Erika, lead the church in Kietman's Whip. You have to go. Really cool people. Actually, just like us. Like you almost feel you haven't left uh, Otsuring, except it's drier with less trees. And don't eat, don't eat uh, steers there. It wasn't, yeah. <laughs> Believe us, don't eat steers there. <laughs> but one afternoon, Erika's dad was there. He's a guy called Volker, and he leads, has led a church in Vintuk for many, 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 many years. An incredible guy. And I had the privilege to accompany Volker to pick and pay uh, and then to the butchery to buy some stuff for the evening to eat and I say it's a privilege because he's a hero in the faith he served Jesus all his life and we got to pick and pay and we're walking around and pick and pay and uh, we in the aisle we're looking for jelly because his wife wants to make some special pudding that you only get in Namibia that you make with jelly. And it's a specific jelly and he's asking the people there, like, do you know where this jelly is? And they so you can use this, sir, like this one. It's the same thing. And then, obviously, now we found the jelly aisle, which guys can't on their own. And he said, no, 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 he needs to buy this little box with jelly in it. And she said, no, 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 sir, but... This other one's it's the same, it's just cheaper. And he looked at it and he went, I better buy the one that my wife sent me for, otherwise I might be in trouble. But can I tell you something? You seem to know everything about jelly. I don't know anything about jelly, but I do know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? And he spoke to her in the aisle, the jelly aisle. So then we walked down to the till, with the jelly and two other things, got to the till point, and there was a lady buying stuff. And she was buying it, paying for it, and she was packing it in a little bag. And as she was about to go, he said, Sorry, excuse me. She said, Yeah. He said, You look really happy with the stuff you bought. And she said, Yeah, I am. He said, And you look really happy that you can take it home with you. And she went, Yeah. And he said, It's an awkward moment for her, because it's like somebody she doesn't know talking to in pick and pay aisle. And he said, you know what? You know that Jesus paid for you and bought you. And he'd like to take you home one day. He'll be really glad if he can. 
can I pray for you? And he prayed for her. And then we went to the butchery. <laughs> Not finished yet. And we walked in there and we were looking for meat and talking about meat and this stuff. And then, and the butcher said, so this is the best lamb. And Falker went. <laughs> Set up. <laughs> he says, do you know that Jesus was called the Lamb of God? I think he was the best lamb. Maybe you've got the second best lamb. <laughs> Erica says it used to embarrass her a lot because she's always done it all her life. And now she loves it. But there you go. Testimony on testimony on testimony. Some more, some other stories from my own life. Uh, Liesl's brother. Years ago, Liesl's brother had a massive car accident. And he ended up, it's like a truck, hit his 1400 Nissan Bucky. And uh, ended up in intensive care. I think he was there for months. Uh, he was driving, so hint to all the drivers, he was driving with his windows open and his arm out the window and the truck hit that so it ripped his arm basically away like and when they started operating on him a steering wheel went through his rib cage and stuff he, he woke up in the car and I said to him what did you do he said no I, I was like waiting for somebody to help me. I said, I would have just hit my head on the dashboard as hard as I could and pass out again. <laughs> you should really not be awake. But <laughs> he, he ended up in hospital and the doctors literally just tried to save his life. I mean, there's a steering wheel through his lung. Stuff's broken. His arm's ripped basically off his body. Um, he's, the, the truck hit him right there. So you can think what's left here is very little. And after the operation, the doctor said, listen, I don't th- we don't have much hope, but what must we do with the arm? And his mom and dad said, but what about, about his arm? They said, well, actually, w- maybe we can build a little bit of a, like a little top bit here from the bone fragments we've got. But we must decide, are we cutting it off quite high or a bit lower? Because... Everything in the middle is gone. And these folks said, listen, just, does it need to happen now? They said, well, we'll have to make a decision because there's no blood flow and it's just going to start getting bad. So we have a couple of hours and we prayed and they came back and they said, listen, there's enough blood flow. We think we could maybe because we can see somehow there's blood flow to the hand that's still there. So maybe we can save the, the hand, but it won't be able to work anymore. There aren't any sinews, no control, no nothing going through there anymore. But he'd at least have something, you know, that he could use. And we sort of like try and make a stiff little stump for him with the form of a hand. And we said, okay, go for that. And we prayed. Now, Eugene will come and visit us one day in Oatsuren. And the long story is, after he left hospital, uh, he went back to the doctor to sign a release form. And he sat down in the doctor's office, and the doctor said, 
yeah, I'll just sign here. And he's right-handed, so he grabbed the pen. And the dog said, whoa, 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 what are you doing? He said, you just said I must sign my name. He said, don't, don't move your arm. Why isn't it in a cost? He said, well, how must I use it if it's in a cost? <laughs> and the doctor said, but wait a minute, you don't have an elbow. So he said, well, no, I do. And the doctor said, no, no, you don't have an elbow. At best, you have some bone fragments that's grown together. And you, you're damaging something in there now because you're moving this thing backwards and forwards. And what are you going to do with your hand? He said, well, I'm going to take the pen. And the doctor said, well, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm taking the pen. And the doctor said, but you, how is that possible? I know that I've severed the sinews and the stuff that's supposed to control these muscles in your shoulder so that they won't bother you for the rest of your life. I did that. I, I cauterized them. And he says, well, working now. Sorry, sorry for your disappointment, doctor. <laughs> There's a testimony. I saw that. I know Eugene. He lives in Kronstadt with his wife. He has a working arm and an elbow that was lost somewhere in a field outside Kronstadt when the truck hit his arm. That is what God can do. Now, that's my testimony of something I lived through. And if you look at what these guys say, they go, we used to believe Jesus because we heard what you said. Right? So you can believe in God because of what you hear me say. And I can go fetch proof of what happened to Eugene. And I've got more stories. I'm 52. It takes a while to get here. I've built up a couple of these testimonies in my life that I've my first-hand experience of praying for people, of seeing people healed, seeing people not healed. I've seen that too. But, yeah, and it touches us when people are not healed. But, uh, you can have these testimonies for yourself. And that's what these guys then say to the woman afterwards. They say, we believed what you said. We believed what Jesus said. If you can put that on again, the last bit, like 42 to... And they say, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior. What Jesus had done with his testimony was he had shown them him. So you can tell people about your testimony. And if they believe you, they'll get to meet Jesus. And they'll get to build their own testimony. And they no longer have to believe just based on what you have said, but but what they have lived. The big thing is, what are your stories? What's your testimony? Go dig it up. Because if you've been a Christian for longer than, I don't know, 
if you've been a Christian for a day, you've got salvation. You've got her story. Like I met this, I met it. Wasn't it exciting when you first met Jesus? So my sins are forgiven. What were they? Well, it was everything I did wrong. But it seems to me that as we get older and older as Christians, we have less and less to say instead of more and more. Work on these stories so that you can meet the atheist neighbor. Engage with them. Get to know him. See what matters to them. Befriend people. And bring Jesus into the conversation in terms that make sense to them. Yeah. Is it helpful? Because December is here and everybody is celebrating the birth of Jesus. This is our time to shine. This is the harvest is there. Other people have sown. Other people have worked. We need to bring in a harvest. Not to just Jen, to the kingdom. It's not about bringing them here. Make sure that if you speak to somebody, you know who they are and that they add it to a church. Walk them through it. Right. Where do we go from here? Can we, just in closing, sing the first song we did? We did not prep this. You can come up. Just once, the first song we did. Yes. So, I didn't prep this, but this is a testimony. So, this guy was the, one of the, 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 the primary slave traders, and I think in the 1840s, am I right? And he, he got saved, 1700s, 1740s, in England, 1700s. So he wrote this song after he got saved due to a testimony that somebody gave him. One of the slaves, I think, testified to the slave trader. And he got saved and he wrote the song that we sing now. Also a little bit of a remake of it, but Amazing Grace. That's our testimony, Amazing Grace.